It's good to see all of you. Um, I know it's uh, the beginning of spring break for a lot of our schools, so um, I'm sure maybe we have a few more online. So good morning to you online. Um, as Polly, as Polly just said, you know we're talking when we talk about the Trinity uh, during the communicants class. Uh, they kept asking me about that, and so some some people say, well, it's like you know God is one; He's one person. If you well, He's three persons, but He's like He's like you, and you're a father, and you're an uncle, and you're a son, but you're the same person, right? That's but it still doesn't get to it, right? And then you have all these other explanations that maybe you've heard. Um, but as we come, uh, we are intentionally people of faith. We have to believe in what we, um, in what we can't see, but sometimes even, when, uh, even what we don't fully uh, comprehend. And um, if you think about the story, uh, beginning with the Old Testament, uh, God has revealed himself at some level, but God has, has a lot left to reveal uh, if, if we're in the book of Deuteronomy. And... As you know, Moses is, um, you know, he, a whole generation essentially has been lost in the desert. And this young generation is about to take the land. And this whole letter is about renewal and about reminding um, the Israelites who they are and what, uh, who we are as a people. And I think we need to be reminded. In fact, I think this week we're going to be reminded because um, of the volume of culture, especially these days. I, I think it's so loud. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, even I, I was able to spend last weekend, I wasn't here, but I was able to spend a lot of time with my nephew, who is a, uh, a freshman at Florida State uh, in ROTC, and he uh, just was talking about his buddies and what they say, and realizing that a lot of them, uh, you know, they'll kind of take Christ as an add-on. Yeah, that's, a, that's an option. I'll, I'll add a little Christianity to my, to my experience. And Moses is saying, if you do that, you will die. Like literally, you, we will die as a people group. Because when you take the land, you're going to have to believe that God once again will, you know, he knows what's coming. Yeah, you're going to have to cross over the river and here are the Ammonites and here are the Amalekites and here are the Philistines uh, and the Edomites and the Moabites. I mean, they are evil people. In other words, evil, by, by that I mean people that simply think uh, with their sinful nature at, at the forefront. And we need to be reminded that without Christ, without God choosing Israel, they would not know what to do. Without God revealing his law, they would not know what to do. And I wonder if you fundamentally believe um, that is true, that without God's law, without God's word, you would, um, you would be fully disoriented in life. And that this book is really about orienting you to, to the design of God. Um, because we know, I mean, the people that have gained the world and gained the world's love are still lost. I mean, the famous playwright Arthur Miller, who wrote Death of a Salesman, stopped believing in God as a teenager. But decades later, he said this, I feel like I've carried around this sense of judgment. I could not escape it. I still felt like I needed to prove myself to others, to have somebody tell me that I was okay, that I was acceptable, that I was approved of. And so what he had done is he replaced the God of Christmas with what? The God of approval. 
He was still looking for someone as a, as a fully grown, mature man to what? To tell him that he was accepted. This is what Madonna wrote in Vanity Fair, or her quote. All of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling, or all my life has been, uh, been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. My drive in life is for this horrible fear, uh, is from this horrible fear, fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still prove, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. And that's what the world will tell us. If we give our lives to the world, if we convert to the world, that's where we'll be left. We'll be left with that sense. And so what Moses is trying to tell us, and if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, is I want you to choose life. Because really the choices that we, that we fundamentally make are between that, are between life and death. So this is... Um, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult, and it's not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, The message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will be certainly destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What have we talked about in Deuteronomy? This is a covenant relationship. This isn't just a contract. This is a covenant, almost marriage-like relationship. You should see it that way. And one of the most interesting things, I think, about this passage is what? It's simplicity. There's a basicness to what Moses is trying to say. That, he, that it's, it's so simple as we look at. Because a lot of times I'll look at a passage and I'll be like, okay, let's unpack this. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what I love to do. And hopefully I can find, you know, can really look and see something. But I don't have some great nugget for you or some angle turn over here to say, ha, ah, see it like that. No, it's very simple. 
Moses is saying, I'm offering you a personal relationship with God. And he's, he's saying this, it's not too difficult and it's near you. You don't have to go up to heaven. You don't have to what go over the sea in the ancient Near East. I mean, the sea was a scary place. You don't have to go over that. You don't have to go all to all these gods up here. You don't. And that is probably what, for many of us, is going to be the most difficult part, is comprehending the simplicity of it. Because so many of us, we want to what? We want to, you know, have, have a, this journey and come to this aha moment after kind of, kind of uh, deducing all these things. But verse 14, God is near you. Who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we might obey all these stories there's a bunch of other creation stories in the ancient near east read the gilgamesh epic it's another story it's a creation story that's a competing story they're there just read them and many times there there you know there's some kind of prophetic truth or cryptic truth and it's not you don't have to go up there and get this all you have to do is understand what it means to be in a relationship. And basically what he's saying is if you want the secrets of the universe, you don't have to be an expert or an elite scientist or some incredibly sophisticated poet. What do you have to do? Open the drawer in the hotel room. <laughs> there it is, right? It's right there. I hope they're still there. They've been there. I've been in a hotel in a little bit. But the Bible. And the Bible is literally everywhere. Just click on the Bible app or uh, the U version. It's, it's right there with a click of a button. It's under our noses. And so when you understand that it's here in a book, it's here in the word of God, ultimately the summary of the book of Deuteronomy and your relationship with God is this. First, love God and put his will ahead of your own. Second, love your neighbors unselfishly, and put their needs ahead of yours. Don't look out for yourself, but put what? Put God and others first. Third, as a result, if you do this, you have a much richer life, a much fuller life. You will hold on to the heart that God created in you, and you'll realize it's right there. And it's deceptive because there's a lot of people who don't want to believe this. They don't like it being so simple, but it is. If you really look at this and if you really look at the Ten Commandments, he's saying you know, the Christian faith is really every day. Don't put up idols, right? Watch your words to not curse. Words matter. There you, God has given you seven days in each week. He wants one. You're here because he asked you to remember the Sabbath day. Honor him. It's, it's his day. Don't take other people's stuff. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't mess with another person's marriage. And don't look at things and covet. It's a very down-to-earth, simple faith. It's what we do. It's an implication of what we've been given, this personal relationship with God. I was reading a commentary, one of my uh, favorite professors and commentators is Walter Brueggemann, 
And he gave an illustration uh, in, in France during World War II. Uh, there was a community called Les, uh, I think it's Chabon, um, that hid Jews during, uh, during the Nazi efforts at exterminating them. And there are these people of this mountain village um, under the direct uh, direction of, of the church and their pastor that saved an estimated three to 5,000 lives. And um, the state of Israel in 1990 recognized this entire village as, quote, righteous among the nations for their bravery and uh, their compassion for, for these Israelites. And so um, a number of these, a number of these uh, Jews that were saved went back to the village after you know, a number of years. And they went back and they said, you know, um, you know what is it? Why would you do this? You know what they found? They, they found the answer time and time again from the people of this village. Well, it's, it's, it's what we would do. I mean, of course we're going to do that. Of course we're going to save your life. There was nothing, there was no dramatic explanation. They were basically saying their actions stemmed from what? The center of their embracing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was enough. And they just did it. But here's what we know. So many people don't do those types of things. Doesn't everybody know in Europe what Christ did on the cross? Can you not look at the crucifix and think he died for you? And these village people said, well, if he died for me, I'm willing to risk my life to save somebody else because my life is his. It's just an implication of my relationship with him. And so many of us, we don't think that way. We, we, have, it, we have it flipped. What? What would happen to our world if everybody, everybody's starting point was the scriptures? Because we are at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads right now. Because here, I believe that you know, when you really look at what he's saying, what, what uh, Moses is saying here, let's look at our first point, is that it's unexpectedly ordinary. Like, th- this is what Moses is saying. It's about this relationship. And everything's got to start. And if you want to build your relationship with Christ, it's through prayer and study of the word. That's what we know. All all the scripture says that. His word is your bread. It keeps you, literally keeps you alive. But what happens when you make yourself the starting point for your life? What happens when you take, like we've already talked about a little bit in worship, your, your immediate feeling, and you don't take your feeling and take the filter of Scripture and say, okay, is this in line with what God, is the way God says I've been made, with what he wants for me? Because if it's simply what? If it's simply your feeling, then what? Then you're the author. You've declared your independence. And, and the Scriptures are maybe a resource, but they're not your starting point, your, like my grandmother taught me, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And it's the words of God. Now take just these few words of Jesus in the, in the gospel of Mark. Think right now how controversial these words are. If, if we put these up at Times Square, here's what the Bible says. You want truth? 
Here is, you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are a sinner and you need forgiveness. Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection is your only hope in life and in death. And so the words of Jesus are literally life. They're, they're a handbook to understand our design. What if we read this from Matthew? These are the words of Jesus from Mark 10. But at the beginning of creation, what? God made them male and female. Let's just stop there for a second. God made somebody a man and God made somebody a female. What, what happens now? That can turn into what? That can be twisted as what? Hate speech. No one imposes their will upon me. No, are you kidding me? And what Jesus is saying is God is the designer. It's God who gives you your gender. What? What do we do with that? That's crazy stuff, I know. I know that this is controversial. But look, we have to be honest with what Christ says. If not, what happens? Jello, right? We're in, we're in pudding, man. And there is no place to put your foot. And there's no, how do we teach our kids what is what? What is right and what is wrong? The way that we've been designed. Now let me just say this. If you don't claim Christ or the Bible as your starting point, then do whatever the heck you want to do. Do whatever you want. Because you are the, the, um, the king or the queen of your life. And the word of God isn't. The word of God was never meant to be an add-on. It, had, it has nothing to do with a little option there, right? I'd like it biggie size. Go ahead and give me that option. Put a little Bible in it. No, it doesn't work that way. It's either he's in, he's in the center or he's out. For this reason, what? A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. What is Jesus saying there? Implication, obviously, marriage is between a man and a woman from the Bible's perspective. Now I know, of course not from our cultures. And a lot of people are never claiming to base what they're, what they're deciding a marriage is on the Bible. So I don't fault them for that. Don't hear anybody, don't, don't let anybody in this room feel condemned one second from, uh, from the Bible or from me in any way because you have not claimed the Bible as your starting point. And when you don't do that, it doesn't make sense for you to take the definition of the Bible. But it is. I mean, for, for us Christians, for the people of Israel, you're going to go to Moab, and you know what they're going to say? Do whatever the heck you want sexually. You're, you're going to go to Edom, and they're going to say, you know what, if it hasn't rained in a while, you better take your six-year-old and sacrifice them to Baal and Asherah, because maybe if we sacrifice our kids, it'll rain, and that'll save our life. And that's what the Edomites did. They were people that just thought for their, from their primal bones but what Moses is saying, look, it's pretty simple. It's the word of God. It's your relationship with him. And this can be beautiful. And this is where I feel like people are floating around looking for something. And you know what? They grab it here in the 80s. And they say, okay, this is right. And then here we are in the 2020s. And it's completely different, right? Or it was there in the 20s or in the 50s. Look how basic morality in America an acceptable morality has changed from the 1920s to the 1950s to the 1980s to the 2020s. It's just moving. 
There is nothing that is solid. And what Moses is saying, that's right, you're going into the world. And unless your starting point is me, and unless you make it this simple, you know, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. The question is, are you a person of the book? Do you believe in the inerrant word of God? It is so very important. Why would Moses include this? Why would he say, you know what? This is what it means. This is what it means for for a, a man, right, to be a man. And I'm not saying that that's not a hard journey for all of us. I mean, there have been plenty of times in my journey of masculinity, I did not feel biblically masculine one bit. And it took a lot of... You know, I have my, my own stubbornness, and I don't want to step into that. But God used his word. He used two not perfect but really good grandfathers who loved the Lord. He used a really, really good father who wasn't perfect but was really good to say, this is what it looks like. Here's what we're going to do, Frankie. This is what you, this is what God has called us to be because this is our handbook. So we just go back to it and we say, well, here's what the scriptures say. Oh, you and Lou are going through a hard time? No, you can't leave her. No, you can't do that. No, this is what marriages go through. This is, this is what, so what? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You got where, what, you know, what, how we were created you have the definition of marriage, and then within that you have what, does mar- what is marriage supposed to look like, how Christ is committed to the church. That's what Jacob is teaching to our students through the book of Hosea. It has all kinds of implications, but let me be very plain here. <laughs> There's an unexpected ordinariness, a simplicity to what Moses is saying. Are you okay with that? Or do you want it to be more more than what the Bible is saying. More than say, hey, let's, let's see, right? The, 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 the rules of God is the signpost that says, hey, new heavens, new earth this way. You want to know how you're designed? You, you know, hey, watch your mouth. Give me that day. Give me that day of worship. I love that day. I get to spend time with you. I love it that you are here and that we open up my word and you get to hear it and you're thinking about your walk with God right now. He loves what you're doing right now. That's beautiful. He's saying it's part of your design. So when you remember the Sabbath and honor it, you become more of what you were made to become. So where are you? Do you understand that? Do you understand how it can be so simple and we can base our life on the Bible, but you put those words up and that gets crazy, right? Go have a conversation about Mark 10 and these aren't, you know, say, this isn't even Paul, right? This isn't Moses. This isn't King David. This is straight son of God stuff. These are the red letter words, baby. These are the words of Jesus who everybody wants to say is all loving and, and, you know, he's just all accepting except for when he says, no, here are the guardrails. Here are the guardrails that keep you on the highway. I gave you male and female. I define marriage. I created this beautiful sexual union for a man and a woman. It's awesome. And when it happens, right, you actually have this beautiful baby come out of the woman. Unbelievable. That's the design. But the world saying, huh, which makes sense because this is not their starting point. And I think we should be able to have Good conversation 
Because when you say, I am fully dependent upon the word of God, and you're not ashamed about that, and just say, so for you, would you say it's your feelings? If, if there's an agnostic or a, you know, an atheist that you're talking with, they would probably say yes. Or it's kind of the collective feel that I get from our society. We've kind of decided on what is right and what is wrong, and we've morphed as a society. Okay, all right. Well, that makes sense then, right? So what we know is becoming norm and, and general norms that are changing to, to kind of this new progressive you know, direction that we're on in, in America, that makes perfect sense. Because a lot of people will say the Bible is regressive. Right? It will hurt people. People have said that for centuries. And let me tell you, um, it's up to those that know the Lord and know his word to believe it, even when you don't feel it, even when everybody's calling you. You know, are you one of those? Are you telling me that I shouldn't be? No, here's what I'm saying. My starting point is the scriptures. I can't do anything but that. I'm not called to do anything but that. Second point, we only have two points. I know you're thinking, oh boy, this is going to be too long. There's only one, one there. He's got, he's got to better go. I know, I know this, yeah. If you're reading the passage and you, and you begin to understand um, what uh, Moses is saying, and he's saying, choose life. Um, when, you, when you look back at that, you say, well, wait a second. Is he saying... Um, choose life, they're already alive. They're biologically alive right now, and he is saying, hey, choose life. They already have that. What he's saying is like, I want you to choose a, a spiritual new heart life. I want you to understand that, hey, you can live, you can live eternally right now. Some of us think of eternal life as some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away, right? I'll fly away. No. Jesus says, look, you can have it right now. You can live eternally. You can pull heaven down to earth, right? You can do that. You can be a part of that. But the thing we have to remember, even when he says that, is Scripture always interprets Scripture. And it says there in the passage, the Lord himself will be your life. Paul explains Moses in Romans chapter 10. What does it mean? What what does it mean that the Lord will be your life? Basically what he says is, look, Christ is the end of the law. Christ perfectly, perfectly uh, lived out the law. He is the end. He is the one that ultimately did it perfectly. And so, When you think about Christ and you think about the law, and if Christ is the end of the law, what we're realizing is that the pressure is off, but we still get to be a part of this unbelievable, what? Unbelievable promise. Is that he wants you to, what? Fulfill the law, to to, to obey the law, but here's, here's our out. And this is what's unbelievable. The grace here is ridiculous. Christ has already done it for you perfectly, so you don't have to do it. But if you understand it, if you understand what Christ has done for you, you know what? 
I don't think you'll view it that way. I think you'll realize, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm going to live in this. And so those words of Jesus, I am going to go, maybe I'm going to go to my school. or Maybe I'm going to go to my office space. And you have to decide what this looks like. And I understand you've got all, you know, we've got all kinds of dynamics that are going on. And sometimes you, you need to be forthright. And sometimes it's probably better for you to not say as much. But when it comes down to it, you are free because you cannot mess up if Christ is the end of God's law and you believe in him by faith. You are free. You have what? You have fully obeyed the Ten Commandments in Christ. You have never, ever, what? Um, you, have, you have never taken the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because Christ never did. You've never stolen anything because Christ never stole, stole anything. You've never coveted anything because what? Because Christ never did. He is the completion of the law. And so, unbelievably, where, you know, many times it's, it's, the, uh, it's the hero the, you're right, the, the hero of the story is going on its quest to find and to, to, to live out what the godlike figure needs them to, 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 to ultimately live out. And if they do it, they get the prize. This is the exact opposite, is that we can never, ever do that. We have done nothing. And I love this. In the Church of England, um, uh, during uh, Martin Luther's, uh, well, excuse me, John and Charles Wesley, who started the Methodist tradition, they were reading um, Martin Luther. And they were reading what Martin Luther, who was the great reformer, uh, said about the book of, uh, uh, book of Galatians. And it says this, it says in, in this diary that this man, William Holland, penned about Mr. Wesley, says, Mr. Wesley read aloud at the place where Luther said, what, have we then nothing to do? No, nothing but only to accept him. Who of God is made unto us, who becomes for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption? Then it says, hearing those words, there came such a power over me as I cannot well imagine and describe. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. When afterwards I went into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground that I trod upon. What happened there in that moment? The simplicity of grace hit what? Hit Mr. William Holland at that moment. The moment he was what? He was, he was willing to get rid of his own pride, to get rid of his pride and, and to say, from now on, you know what he was unable to do? Look down on anybody because he realized what Christ had done for him. And what? And he was willing to get rid of any control of his life. To, or, yeah, to get rid of all the control of his life because he knew now what everything that was given to him was God's mercy. He got it. And ultimately, this is what Paul, uh, Moses is trying to say to the Israelites, and I believe what's God trying to tell us. Look, we are going into our land, and you need to understand the simplicity, but that doesn't mean it's simple, it's very difficult, of understanding what God has done for us. The simplicity of the gospel. 
And Moses is going to say, look, you're going to have to take those steps and believe in what you can't see. And maybe you will be what? Blessed. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who are what? Who are persecuted. When you step into my way, the world hates it. We know that. It's, It's all over the place. But ultimately, what? The reward is yours and the reward is mine. And how do we know that? Well, we know it because of Easter Sunday, and that's where we're walking to. Is that a carpenter, a Jewish carpenter, who everybody thought was simply a man or a prophet or a good guy, his heart stopped, his breathing stopped, whatever happened to his body to feel the effects of hell, and then on the third day, he resurrected. And that's you and that's me. That's what we get. It's the simplicity of believing that. If you've never done that, let me encourage you. I mean, I think go and experience the world and it will give you a, temp, a temporary high. It will give you some feeling. Okay, I have some feeling, but you know what? It will wear off. It always does if it's not about the Lord. And he's saying, my way is eternal. But here's what we know. Satan knows you. His minions know you. Because our, our struggle, our fight, what Paul says, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities of darkness. And I think right now we have to be vigilant. I don't want to hyper-dramatize everything, but I really do. I feel the onslaught. I feel it when my kids come home and tell me what their friends are telling them. I feel it in, in my truck talking to my nephew as he's talking to us all his buddies. And he is just telling me the competing stories going against what his faith is about. It's a fight. It is. And Moses is saying, get ready. You have to make sure your first love is him. But you have to understand all around that and and develop your theology. Because when you do that and you see the beauty of Jesus, you will change. And you know what? You won't do it perfectly, but you will make great decisions for him. You You will step out in faith. And then what do we know comes out of us when we're living in the Spirit? That love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that kindness, that goodness, that self-control, that comes out when we step out in faith. So where are you? Where are you this morning when you think about the battle that's going on for our hearts and mind? Let's pray and ask God to be with us.